Titus chapter 1, verse 9. Guys, in case you don't know, you came to one of the most important verses of the whole Bible. A rich, powerful verse, verse 9. Now remember, the book of Titus is the third pastoral epistle. First and second Timothy and Titus. Timothy and Titus were, were sons in the faith of the Apostle Paul. But you got to remember, Paul was going to preach the gospel where it had never been heard before. And that's what Timothy and Titus had experienced. They would go to a place, you know, get beaten up and thrown in prison and ran out of town, all kinds of crazy stuff. But once people became Christians, they quickly discipled them in a few weeks, sometimes a few months, not much more than that. And they turned it over to the elders to say, Good luck, guys. God bless you. And off they went. And so even though these guys had been around the ministry for decades with the Apostle Paul, they themselves had not experienced just staying put in a church and dealing with all the joys and all the problems that go along with just hanging in there, ministering to people week after week after week. And so, you know, when you look at the different ministries, you know, you, you have an evangelist. The evangelist, you know, they just, they, they preach the gospel with fire and hearts are stirred and people are, are weeping and repenting and they come to Christ and, and it's wonderful. But they're done. They're, they're happy. They, there's nothing more to be done. The pastor looks back and says, The baby just got born. The evangelist says, I'm just the doctor. Hands it off to the parents. See you later. You know, and go off to deliver another baby. But the pastor's looking at it going, the work has only started. The evangelist doesn't have that heart. Ray Comfort, who's an evangelist, he said that uh, the six months he pastored was the longest 20 years of his life. (laughs) And uh, it just depends on your calling. And of course, a prophet, he, he likes to shake the people up, you know? Um, whatever the, the prophetic word is, it pierces our hearts because it's true and our spirit bears witness. It's from the Lord and, and it brings people again to repentance or to, to fix things, whether it's their marriage or their, their holiness in their life or whatever. They're, they're shaken by the presence of God through the the prophetic word. But again, when they're done, you know, the dynamite explodes, they walk away. And and then the pastor's there going, okay, the hearts were stirred. That's wonderful. But then there's just the day in, day out, caring and feeding for the sheep. And so, again, Timothy and Titus were not pastors. They had maybe, Paul definitely, since they had that calling, at least for a season to fill in the gap, in Ephesus for Timothy, and uh, there on the island of Cyprus for um, uh, Titus here. But nevertheless, um, it was something that they, they weren't accustomed to, caring for the sheep day in and day out. And, you know, you think of a shepherd. A shepherd's job is, is just a pretty mundane job. You know, an actual shepherd with sheep. You know, he just goes and opens the gate and... The sheep come out and he walks very slowly out to the green pastures and they eat and he just makes sure there's not disrupted. 
And then he slowly walks over to the water and they drink. And then he slowly walks them back and puts them back in the corral. And that takes, you know, 8, 10, 12 hours a day to do that. But that's about it, just watching and caring for the sheep. And guess what he does tomorrow? The same exact thing he did the day before. And, and, and so a, a pastor is somebody that is, is content in just saying, yeah, you know, I've, I've done marriage counseling yesterday and I'm doing more marriage counseling today. Or, you know, I taught this Bible study and I'm teaching it again. And, and they're fine with that. It's just something that's, that goes deep within them where the evangelist says, well, nobody got saved from it. I know, but the sheep need to feed and grow. The prophet says, nobody was stirred up. You got to end that message and, you know, shake them up. Well, no, you don't need to shake up sheep all the time. I mean, there's times they need it. That's why God's given it to church, you know, evangelists and, and apostles and pastors and teachers. All these things are important aspects to, to uh, you know, a complete ministry to the body. But the main job is the pastor who is also the teacher. And this is what these guys needed to learn. And so really a lot of elementary things. Paul goes over with Titus. Some of them are repeated uh, in Timothy. And, uh, and so here we saw last week almost the same identical qualifications that we saw in 1 Timothy 3 for leaders. Uh, but today as we look at verse 9, a powerful verse emerges out of the text. This is still talking about qualification of leaders, but it's not, it sort of changed from qualifying to explaining that they need to understand what they're to be doing and are willing to do that. Just day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, they're just going to be faithful to be there, you know, just slowly, faithfully causing the church to be fed and to grow. And as uh, my pastor Chuck always says, healthy sheep will beget healthy sheep. Those who are evangelists amongst us will evangelize if they're built up and they're strong in the Lord. Those who are prophets amongst us, they'll prophesy because they're strong in the Lord. Those who are apostles will go be missionaries and because they're strong in the Lord. And it's the pastor's job to make sure everybody is strong in the Lord to then do all the ministry that they have to their own family and far, much more far-reaching. So in verse 9, let me just read the whole verse and then we're going to break it down. Holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and convict those who contradict. First of all, he says, holding fast clinging to. It's, it's referring to sticking to it, but then he's referring sticking with it also. There's always the guys that'll stick to it in a burst for a short time. But really those who are leaders in the church and especially called to be pastors, all Christians, we need to not only passionately grab onto it for a time, but permanently hold on to it without letting go. And again, what is he talking about? The faithful word of God. Understanding that the first and the last is knowing the word, 
counseling from the word, teaching the word, evangelizing with the word, that, that all of us need to know from the first word of Genesis to the last word of Revelation. And we, we know the scriptures. And if you've been here a few years and you don't know the whole Bible, then something's wrong. Somehow it's not been communicated, the need daily for you to be in the word. And, 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 and again, understanding all the counsel of God. And, uh, you know, again, Pastor Chuck, he says, the way you bring people to church is the way you're going to keep them. And so if you bring people into the church by just teaching the word, then that's what they're going to expect. But if you have some kind of hyped out program, so, you know, if if I brought everybody in with my juggling technique, well, that's going to be exciting. Come to church and watch this juggling act. But next week, you know, or a couple weeks from now, I better put those balls on fire that I'm juggling, you know. And then I need to eventually be, you know, doing swords and, you know, knives. And then I better get chainsaws and, you know, because people aren't going to come back. Even the most radical things aren't radical after the third or fourth time. It's what you expect. But if people are coming because the word of God is going into their hearts and going into their minds. That's something that a pastor can continue forever because the Bible is the living word of God. It it doesn't have any limitations. You know, it has to do with a a combination of things. One is uh, the depth of who I am preaching it. And then, of course, the depth is who you are listening to it. As I grow in the Lord, I think I, I teach it in a, in a deeper way. And as Christians grow in the Lord, they hear it in a deeper way. We hear it in suffering and we hear it when we're not suffering. We, we hear it in good times and bad times. The word of God goes in our hearts and our minds. The same stories in some sense, senses, but yet a whole different revelation because we're dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, within the Calvary chapels, I mean, this is something that I, I think that really no other churches really do. I mean, there are, there are good ones out there. Don't, let, don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to say that. But you can't pick out a movement or even a denomination across the board where they are just teaching verse by verse through the whole Bible. Old Testament and New Testament. 99% of the time you find that to be the case, you'll find it's Calvary chapels. I'm not saying there aren't a few other churches out there to do it. There are. But for the most part, the whole Bible, 99% of the time, it's Calvary chapels. In Jeremiah 3.15, it says this, and I, God speaking, will give you shepherds, pastors, same thing, according to what? My heart. Who will feed you or teach you with knowledge and what? Understanding. Now this is an interesting thing as you teach through the Old Testament, you find these three things. Knowledge or understanding, knowledge, and wisdom. And if you would, knowledge is just the data, okay? And and there's a lot of people that could enunciate to you about the story of David killing Goliath, okay? 
understanding, if you would, is, is an explanation doctrinally of what's going on there and how it speaks into our life. But it's interesting in this Jeremiah 3.15 verse that wisdom is left out. Why? Because as the pastor teaches the knowledge and the understanding of God's word, God's Holy Spirit is in the midst of us speaking the wisdom specifically to you. And so I don't need to be the cheerleader every time you teach the Bible. I don't need to say, okay, here, we've got a doctrinal truth. Here's the story. And you know, let me say it in a dramatic fashion. And let me give you all the doctrine and you know, all these stories and analogies and insights that'll help you understand this. And, and now let me tell you how this applies to your life. No, this is the, the, the wonderful thing. And, and when you go to seminaries, and I'm not against them by any means, but when you go to how to preach the word, they, they make it clear that it's your responsibility to help them practically apply how this word works. And I, I think a lot of times people get really bogged down in that because often it's, it's too great because there's so many needs out here. There's so many of you hearing it on different levels. And, and if, if marriage is on my heart, then I'm going to apply it all to marriage. But all the single people or people that aren't married are, are going to be saying, gee, you know, here's another great teaching on marriage, but that doesn't apply to me. Or raising kids or finances or whatever it might be. But here, if I just teach the story and I expound it doctrinally, I can move on to the next verse. Because God's Holy Spirit is speaking it into your life if you have ears to hear. And I'll tell you what, almost every single time I preach, I'll have somebody come up and say, man, that so spoke to me, Brian. And of course, I'll say, well, what, what spoke to you? And, uh, and they'll tell me what it was that I said. And I said, man, that... It's powerful. That really ministers to me. I wish I had said that because it's very profound. But in, in reality, it was the Holy Spirit spoke that to them. Through the data of the word, through the doctrine of the word, God's Holy Spirit just took it, you know, put it in one big soup and just spoke it into their lives. And, and what God spoke to them was profound and powerful and deeper than I am. <laughs> And so that's, that's the neat thing. If I'm faithful to teach it, people that are more mature in the Lord than me can get ministered to by somebody less mature in the Lord. And of course, those who are brand new Christians can, can just radically have their hearts stirred. And people that have been in the Lord 50 years and have heard this story 100 times can just be radically stirred. And of course, it's the Holy Spirit. God gets the glory. It's not man that gets the glory but it's the Lord. And then another passage that's often quoted in the Calvary chapels in Isaiah 28.10. For precept must be upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. 
And of course, that's where pastors have to remember that little part because often we do a lot part and uh, overwhelm people. But, and then in verse 13, it goes on, but the word of the Lord was to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little and there a little. Of course, the context of Isaiah 28 is a unique context because the people are disobedient. But I'm not going to go into that. The principle stands. This is God's heart. My shepherds. Knowledge and understanding. Just get the data out there. Read the scriptures. Explain it what it means. Let the Holy Spirit do the rest. Now, if you're a pastor with a gift of evangelism, that's going to come out. If you're a pastor with a gift of exhortation, that's going to come out. If you're a pastor with a gift of prophecy, that's going to come out. If you're a pastor with a heart of counseling, that's going to come out. You, you don't want to take the person away from the ministry. It's, it's okay. That's why every pastor has their own flavor. Every church has its own flavor. This is a good thing. This is not a bad thing. And, and that's, again, why we don't want to do the cookie cutter thing. We want to let the, the Holy Spirit build the church as he desires to have that church geographically, for every location, um, age-wise, the mentality-wise. You know, it, it's, it's, it's very complicated. People are incredibly complicated people. And to try to, to try to meet the needs of people, impossible. Abraham Lincoln said you can please some people some of the time, but what? You can't please all the people all the time. And if you're trying to please people... Uh, in the preaching, in the sermon, uh, the pastor would get discouraged and quit very quickly. But if people come saying, I'm coming to get fed, I've got the Bible in front of me, and they're hungry, they're going to get fed. With me or in spite of me. <laughs> Short or long. You know, they, they like my talking style or they hate my talking style. It, it doesn't matter. If I'm presenting the word, God is going to minister and feed the sheep. And I'm not confident in my intellect. I'm not confident in my study. I'm not confident in my delivery. But I am one gazillion confident in the power of God's Holy Spirit with just the word. Get the word out there. You know, once it's out there, the Bible says God's word will never return void. It will accomplish what it's meant to do. One more little aspect on this before we move on. And that is that the sermon you're hearing now, I hope all of it's not for now. I, I hope, you know, some of this message is going to go, wow, that really applies to last week. And I say, sorry, didn't, not going to do you a whole lot of good now. Some of it you're going, man, this is just right on. This is what we were talking about today. This is what I was meditating on. The Holy Spirit spoke this to me. But there's some of it that's being spoken to you right now. You're going, okay, I don't quite understand that. It's interesting, doesn't do anything, doesn't stir my heart. It's, you know, good information. But it's for later. And see, that's the thing. If I'm hearing from God and, and, and you're hearing from God, a big chunk of what's being preached right now, it's going to develop and unfold itself tomorrow and in the next week, in the next couple of weeks. You see, it's going to be not 
You know, so people walk out of here going, well, you know, it didn't, you know, it didn't get me like the Holy Spirit gets me sometimes in the word. I mean, I, I love that time when you worship and just, oh, your feelings are all there and you finish worship just going, oh, that was so wonderful. But does it, is it always like that when you worship? You know, your body, your emotions, the songs, everything lines up perfectly. It doesn't, does it? And, and that's okay. We're worshiping God, not because it feels right, but because he's worthy of it. In the same way with the word. When we read the word in the morning or meditate on the word, sometimes it just speaks to us and we're like, oh, thank you, Lord. And, you know, we're jumping and leaping. This is such a wonderful word from God. I got to share it. But so much of the time, what we read, what we study, what we hear, it's God is going to give it to us day by day over the next year, maybe even, or longer. And, and, and so maybe six months from now or a year from now, all of a sudden you'll be in this situation and you're being challenged and bing, wow, Titus 1.9. Let me go back and read that. I remember this. It didn't mean anything to me a year ago, but now, wow, this is so profound for my life. And so if a pastor's doing the right job, again, in the power of the Spirit, hearing from the Spirit, again, much of what you get, and, and that's again where... You know, pretty much all of us are love to please people. We love to be pleasing to people. And, and uh, you know, something I, I talk to other pastors about pretty regularly, you know, you live and die <laughs> on the sermon, you know. Preach a great sermon, I'm alive Monday. I preached a great sermon, nobody said anything about it, they didn't like it that well. You know, I'm dead all week until next Sunday. And, you know, c- because you so want people to get it. You so want them to be blessed and fed and encouraged. And if for some reason it didn't happen, it's, it's, it's everything to you. And there comes a point where you have to just say, you know what, I, I'm, I'm confident. Whether I feel it, you feel it, we see it today, it's, it's irrelevant. I just need to be faithful to pronounce and proclaim all the word of God you know, I, I love in the Old Testament sometimes where you get stories and the story really gives you a picture of the doctrine. And here we're looking at clinging to the word of God and in particular to leaders. And of course, if you're here, you're a leader in your home. They're in some sphere, hopefully spiritually, you're a leader, whether it's in a Sunday school class or a home fellowship, hopefully somewhere you are a spiritual leader. In 2 Samuel 23, you, you might want to turn there. These are just some great stories. I, we're going to put them up on the overhead, but if you're tired and just say, oh man, it's Wednesday, just put it up on the overhead for me, Brian. Okay, we're going to do that. But <laughs> if you want to look in your Bible and underline it, good idea. 2 Samuel 23, verse 8. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dudu, a Horite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines, were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel retreated. Verse 10. He arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary. Now listen to this. And his hand stuck to the sword. Have, have you ever 
just squeeze something so hard until your muscles froze there and you had to have somebody come and massage your hand and sort of uh, get to open it up. He, he was just so hanging on to the, the, the word, if you would, in this analogy, the, the sword of the word. Uh, the word of God is called the sword. He's stuck to the sword, fighting against the enemy. His hand won't let go. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And then in verse 11, we see another guy. After him was Shammah, the son of Agi the Ararite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. How, how many of you guys like lentil beans? Raise your hand. How many of you guys absolutely despise lentil beans? Okay, I, I, I'm surprised. How many of you guys have a feeling one way or the other, but you're just not going to raise your hand? Okay, <laughs> you just did. So, okay. Um, <laughs> so he's there, you know, his commander said, hey, the Philistines are going to be coming. See this guy's lentil feed f- filled? Let this be your boundaries of the area you're, you're supposed to defend. And he, there he comes to this lentil field. And the people fled from the Philistines. Everybody sees this massive Philistine soldiers coming at them. They all split. But Shammah, he stationed himself in the middle of the field and defended it, killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. So we see here this intensity of guys just clinging to it, sticking to it, saying, if it kills me, I'm not budging, I'm not moving. Until the victory is won. That is the heart the pastor has to have year after year and just faithfully teaching the word of God. Look on in verse 20. We'll look at Benaniah was the son of Joadiah, the son of a valiant man from the Gabazil who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. And he killed an Egyptian, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. He went after him with just a staff, wrestled the spear out of the Egyptian's hand, killed him with his own spear. These things Benaniah, the son of Jediah, did and won a name among three mighty men." And so we see again the bravery. I, I've had pastors, not of Calvary chapels, but of other church, tell me just going, you know, I just don't have that kind of bravery to just, you know, teach to the Bible. And I mean, what are you going to do when you get to, to Ezekiel or Leviticus? <laughs> you know, you're saying we're going to teach verse by verse to the Bible, but then you get to a chapter in the genealogy. I mean, I just don't have that kind of confidence that people will show up next week. I think, honestly, that we're going to get to some of the tough parts of the Bible or maybe boring parts of the Bible, except to the few people that have been Christians for 50 years, and they're just going to be unwilling to stick it out and, and work through it. And here you need these brave kind of soldiers. As you look at some of these passages that are two lion-like men and you just go down deep into it, even though it's a pit. And there's the lion down there waiting for you 
on a snowy day, you just go right down in the pit where the lion is and, and take him on. It's just a sense of, of bravery. And then, of course, this Egyptian, this spectacular man, has a spear. All Benaniah had was a staff, but he didn't care. I'm, I'm going to face it. Even though this guy's huge and he's, I'm outmatched, I'm just, in the name of the Lord, I'm going after him. And took the spear out of his hand and killed the man with his own spear. And so we just see a, a sense of determination, a, a, a sense of bravery, a, a sense of stick to and, and this is indeed the, the heart of a faithful pastor, holding fast, clinging to the word, no matter what the season or the difficulty might bring. And then in verse 9, he goes on, the second part of that, holding fast. Notice, not just the word of God, but what does he call it? The faithful word. Faithfulness is talking about, there's, I have a confidence of its truthfulness. I have a certainty of its authority. It's not just the word, but it is indeed God's word. When you read the Bible, do you, do you realize that God had this written exactly the way he wants it? That there's no error, there's no miscommunication, there's not extra fluff that this is holy and completely what God wants to speak to all of us. It's faithful, it's true, it's perfect. Again, I just want to read through a few verses again quickly. In Psalm 18, verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. And equally, the word of the Lord is is proven, tested, again, to be perfect. He is a shield to all who trust in him. God, his way is perfect. Equally so, his word will give us the way. God's word has been tested and proven to be perfect. Your word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, right? Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord, that's a way of describing the Bible, the word of God, The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Psalm 12, verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words, uncontaminated. Even though men were used to write it, there was no human contamination with it. God, using the oracles of men, still perfectly communicated his word without error, without flaw. Like silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times, the number of completion. God had his word and it's, it's before you completed perfect. You shall keep them, O Lord. You shall preserve them from this generation forever. It's, you're going to honor your word, God. You're going to keep your word from being destroyed forever. In Psalm 19, verse 8, The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Psalm 119, verse 140. Your word is very pure, therefore your servant loves it. Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God is pure. 
He is a shield to those who put their trust in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Again, Matthew 5, Jesus speaking, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. God wants to fulfill all his word. All the promises, 2 Corinthians, we looked at that Sunday night, all the promises of God are yea and amen to you. Every word, every promise in God's word, he wants to fulfill it in you and through you as well. In Matthew five eighteen, for assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one jot or tittle will by no means pass away from the law till all is fulfilled. So here Jesus says, right down to every breath mark, period, comma, just a tiny little ink blot above a letter, I'm going to fulfill it. I am not going to let it be destroyed. Of course, uh, you remember the battle that Jesus had with the Sadducees. And he said to them, you're mistaken because you don't know the scriptures nor the power of God. God is perfect, therefore his word is perfect. God is all-powerful, therefore his word is all-powerful. God is eternal, therefore his word is eternal. God is spiritual, therefore his word is spiritual. Any aspect and nature of God, so is his word. What a man is in his word is what a man is. And in this case, if God is perfect, then his word has to be perfect. Jesus, in the teachings in the gospel, he said he believed Noah, and he believed in a worldwide flood. Jesus verified Adam and Eve as two real people. Jesus believed that Jonah was really swallowed by a well or a great fish for three days. He quotes Isaiah and all aspects of Isaiah. If you know in some theology, they try to say Isaiah was written by different authors. Every aspect, every portion of Isaiah, if you would, if you break it down that way, Jesus quoted it and attributed it to Isaiah. And of course, he said all the Pentateuch, first five books of the Bible were attributed as the writings of Moses. You know, here's an interesting passage in Luke 24, 7. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. You know, here's Jesus risen from the dead. All power is given to him. I mean, he could translate you into the future or the past. You know, he could open the heavens and... I mean, he could do anything, right? Here's Jesus, risen from the dead, all power given to him. And what's the most powerful, effective thing he can do for the disciples there on the Emmaus Road? He says, let's look at the Bible. In other words, I don't need to write another chapter for you or book for you. I, that, the thing that I can do to you that would be most powerful for your life is to take the scriptures that have already been written and just to quote them to you and explain them to you. Think of that. If that's Jesus' mind for himself (laughs) in a resurrected Bible, a resurrected body as the shepherd, all of the rest of the shepherds are just, you know, people working for the shepherd. If that's his MO, if that's the way he's gonna do it, then, then how could any of us, again, do something different? In John ten thirty five, Jesus answered and said, the scripture cannot 
be broken. John 17, 17, sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. In Revelation twenty two eighteen, I testify to everyone who hears the word of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, from the things which are written in this book. Let me tell you, to add to, taken away, is mentioned many times through the scripture. The same thing. God repeating, don't add to, don't take away. So again, what do we hear from the mouth of Jesus here in Revelation 22? He's saying it's perfect. It's exactly the way I want it. When people read it, they're gonna get 100% my word. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. Don't change it. And if you do, I'm seriously, uh, you're gonna be punished like you can't believe. In 2 Peter 1, he says in verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our uh, Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things. What has God given us by his divine power? All things that pertain to life, issues on this, in this world, and godliness, spiritual things. You know, the, the Bible's not just for spiritual things, it's for practical things. It's not just for your, how to pray better, but it's, it's how to do everything else on this planet better. How does it happen? Through the knowledge of him. Remember, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. We come to know God through his word. So through knowing him through his word, we are called, he's called us by glory and virtue, by which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious. Three words describing the Bible. Exceedingly great and precious promises. And again, all the promises of the Bible, which are hundreds, are yea and amen to you. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature and, on the flip side of the coin, escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. God's perfect, powerful, pure word. It is not just the word of a man. It's not just good ideas that we attribute to God. It truly is God's word to us. When you open your Bible the next time, just say, Lord, just like I love Samuel, you know. Eli said, next time you hear hear it, just say, Lord, your servant listens. We open the Bible and just say, Lord, your servant listens. This is God's word. God is wanting to change you, speak to you, empower you, strengthen you. Again, it's God's word. Peter, in 2 Peter 1.20, says this, knowing this first, top priority, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation. That's a, the word there in, in the Greek means origin. It means origination, source, agent. It, this, it didn't come from a private individual on this earth. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but... Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So again, it wasn't from man, even though man was used, the source, the origination, the origin of it 
is from God. So thus, we, when we go to God's word, we are taking what is God's and speaking it to men. This is what Paul told Timothy, again on this same subject that we're looking at in 1 Timothy 4, 6. If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. The word doctrine just means teaching. It's got some weird connotation sometimes to people. It just means good teaching, which you have carefully followed. In 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attention, take heed to, number one, reading. And that's really how we look at Sunday nights. Sunday nights, we try to take several chapters, read a lot of it, and explain not as much. And then the next thing is exhortation, to encourage people, whether it's to repent or whether it's to love their wives as Christ loved the church. That's Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is the time we take the word and exhort with it. And then to doctrine. That's Wednesday nights, where we take every verse and just dissect it down to, to, to take a look and say, what is this saying in great detail? And in 1 Timothy 4.16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. And here again, like he says in Titus, continue in them without fail. Don't stop. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. So back in Titus 1.9, holding fast, clinging to, grabbing on to the faithful word of God again, as he has been taught. So the person who now is the leader is simply speaking what has been taught into his life, whether by God as he reads the word, but I think it's inferring in particular to the person that pastored them beforehand. In this case, Paul was the one who had discipled Titus. In Acts 2.42, it says, and they continued, number one, number two, steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Right from the beginning, what, what was the church being built upon? The first layer of bricks. It was people coming and committing to say, I'll be here. Every time you're teaching, Peter, I'm here. And then steadfastly, I'm not going to be moved away from this. And they continued. And of course, we now are looking at the apostles' doctrine of the apostle Paul to Titus. In 2 Timothy 3, but you have carefully followed what? My doctrine. That's what I've been watching you over the years. I've taught you, making sure you're carefully following that. And then, of course, it goes not just to the message, but the life. The manner of life, the purpose, the faith, the long-suffering, the love, the perseverance, the persecution, the affliction which happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned past tense and been assured of in the past, continue to grow in those things, knowing from whom you've learned them, that you're, from your childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. 
And hear it again, all scripture is given by inspiration. That word is God breathed. Remember how God breathed into the dirt and Adam became a living being? All scripture. So the next time you read in Leviticus or you're in the middle of Ezekiel, are you reading through one of the genealogies in Genesis 5 or Matthew 1? It was God-breathed. God has given us all Scripture. All Scripture has been given to us by God. It's profitable for, number one, doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. How is the man of God going to be complete to be a man, a friend, a husband, a wife, a parent? How are we going to become complete? How are we going to be prepared for every good work? It's by having all the scripture read, studied, been taught to us. It's in our hearts on many different levels and many different ways. And, and I was raised in a church that I mean, people had been Christians 50, 70 years. And I'd say a huge percentage of the Bible they had never read. I mean, if you mentioned to them, oh yeah, the book of Amos. Oh, that's not a book in the Bible. Quit goofing around with me. No, that's a book of the Bible. You're kidding. You gotta show it to me. I, I'm telling you, they, they just don't have this in their heart and mind. I just don't want anybody leaving here tonight thinking, that, ah, whether I know the Bible or not, it's okay. No. And Hosea says the people were destroyed because they lacked knowledge. To whom much is given, much is required. God's given us the Bible in this nice little neat package form that people all the way back to Christ has not had except for the last, really, probably less than 100 years, accessible in so many languages easily in your hand to carry. It's an amazing thing how we can have many Bibles sitting around our house and and not understand this is God's word. God's fingerprint on planet earth right here. God's DNA right here. He's wanting to speak it into our lives. In 1 John 2.14, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God, I love this, abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. In Psalms 119, verse 99, I have more understanding than all my teachers. Why? Because your testimonies are my meditations. I understand more than all the ancients, all the great wise men through the centuries, because I keep your precepts. So we we need to, to just hear the heart of God saying, man, do you understand what kind of powerful person you'll be? Psalms 1 said, as we meditate in day and night, that whatever we do will prosper. That we could just sort of get it through our heads. That man cannot live by bread alone, but by what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And guys, that's all the Bible. All of it's God's breathe. All of it came from the mouth of God. And that we cannot live, we can exist, we can suffer through this life, we can scrape and get by, but we're not going to be the people that are fruitful 
and powerful and strong, complete, if you would, as God wants us to until we take seriously this important point that God's word needs to be in our life every single day. Reading it, yeah, you know, I I just think that's, you gotta be careful there. The Bible doesn't say read the Bible. (laughs) The Bible says meditate in God's word. What's that mean to you? Maybe that's listening to the Bible as you're driving. Listening to a Bible study while you're on your bike. I don't know what that means to you. I know it's just not reading a chapter saying, okay, I got that out of the way. Now what I, I need to get on with my real life. No, it's, it's allowing it to abide in you, to speak into your life every second of every day and continue. And then he says here something, again, I think very, very clear. Holding fast the faithful word of God which has been taught And boy, I hope your kids can grow up and say, yep, dad got me through the whole Bible. Mom got me through the whole Bible. You know what? We were at Calvary Chapel for 20 years and man, we learned the Bible there. I I hope that's the case. And then he says this, that he, again, referring to the leader, may be able. That word able in the Greek is dunamai. We get our word dynamite from it. That he may be dynamite. That's in the, I don't know, (laughs) back in the 1970s uh, version. Yeah, good times. There it is. I heard somebody the other day go, hey, Raj. Hey, rerun. I just started laughing so hard. Yeah, I'm probably, you know, if you don't know what that is, don't feel bad because you'd have to be very, very old to understand that. But uh, (laughs) that you might, that you might be dynamite. This is what he's saying. That God wants dynamic leaders, powerful leaders. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he talked a lot on this word unction. And after after he passed away, somebody wrote and took all his writings on unction and put it into a book called Unction. But it's, it's referring that when the word of God is being taught, that it's powerful. It's powerful to the one delivering it, but it's powerful to those who are hungry for the things of God. You know what I'm talking about? Where, where you leave with the sense that God has spoken. That God was in the midst of us. Charles Spurgeon said that find an anointed man and put him in the pulpit And people will come just to watch him burn. And how we need those people just dynamite, full of unction, burning with the word of God abiding deep in their lives. And then sound doctrine. The word sound literally is the word safe and sound or healthy. It's the Greek word uh, hygieno. We get our word hygiene from it. So a hygienic doctrine, a hygienic teaching, a a safe, a healthy, a sanitary teaching. This is what God desires for us to to have, a sound doctrine. And of course, for there to be a healthy meal served, 
takes a lot of preparation, doesn't it? And again, as a leader, to say, here's a healthy meal. They had to work and prepare for it. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul telling Timothy and to all of us, we're all ministers in some way, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Again, we, we see words like diligent. We see words worker. We see not be ashamed. Rightly dividing the word of truth. There's labor involved. There's the mind. There's intensity. There's, there's just work involved. And so again, um, you know, Charles Spurgeon said that the hottest place in hell will be the pastor who made an easy job of the ministry. J. Vernon McGee said, most pastors don't teach verse by verse just because they're unwilling to labor in the word to be able to teach verse by verse. There's something about that that you have to labor in the word and and dissect the word and the word labors in you and dissects you. You're abiding in the word and the word becomes abiding in you. And from that wrestling, from that diligence, from that work is produced a labor of love. It's not just, you know, here's a TV dinner, rip, you know, I heated it up in the microwave, here you go. It's, it's something that soaked and marinated. It's something that was bought in advance. It's something that's picked fresh. You have a lot of aspects, but it's, it's something where there's a sense that there's a care involved that the people that eat this meal are healthy by it. Also, we see that this sound word of God is also for rebuking, for correcting. In 2 Timothy 2.24, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient and humility, correcting those in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth, that they may come to their senses, escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You've got to be able to teach. You've got to be able with the unction and the power of the Spirit to bring the Word of God, to bring conviction into the heart of the person that's erring. Again, in 2 Timothy 3.16, I just read this, but all scriptures given by inspiration of God is profitable for doctrine. And then notice the, the majority of the things he mentions. Reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness. So you have the positive aspect, the doctrine, the training in righteousness. But equally, you have the truth of God's word in a powerful way to bring about rebuke and to re- bring about um, people to repentance, correcting them uh, unto repentance. And then finally here tonight, the last part of verse 9. So with this sound, healthy doctrine, both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. On the positive side, to exhort. This means to urge, to beseech, to encourage. Literally, it's the Greek word to come alongside. So the word is rich in your life and it's just, your, your cup overflows, you're just splashing it on other people. You know who I'm talking about? Have you ever been with people like that? 
You just, you're just with them and you just leave. Just the word of God so saturated in their life, you, it saturates right over into you as well. So the word of God's to exhort to keep people on the right track. Then that the word of God is also there to convict. This is the negative side. Literally in the Greek, it means this, to speak against. Those who are going off on the wrong track, to rebuke them, to get back onto the right track. In particular, look at Titus 10 through 14, what we're gonna cover in the next week. For there are many insubordinate, (laughs) idle talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, whose mouth must be stopped, who subvert the whole households, teaching things what they ought not for the sake of dishonest gain. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. So we're gonna see as, as in the unique part of Titus, the difficulties that, that Titus was, was undergoing. You know, we looked at this the last time we were together. And that, there is a percent of the people in the church that are there for themselves. You know, the worship is for me. (laughs) Play songs that I like. Play the songs that minister to me. Guys, that's not what worship is about. We're we're not coming to say, give me, give me. We're coming to say, Lord, I'm here to minister to you. And believe it or not, the same in the word. We're here, yes, to grow in the knowledge of the word, but it's, it's not for me. It's out of obedience to Christ. Don't forsake the gathering, the gathering of the brethren, especially as you see the day of the Lord drawing near. But it's also with the understanding that the sound doctrine I need for my soul is to be the husband, the wife, the parent, the friend, the Christian. That God has given to the church pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists for the equipping of the saints to come to the fullness of the knowledge of Christ till all of us do the work of the ministry. That, if you would, there is a commitment that we are making to one another. And again, it's lost in our culture. It's lost in marriage these days, for most part. It's lost in friendships these days. But there's a, there's a concept, and as we go through Titus, we're gonna see this, where, where he's saying there, there is a, a point of maturity that we need to come to to say, you know, I'm here to church tonight for 1% for me. I'm here to be a minister to others. Most of all, I'm here to minister to the Lord. How? By allowing him to speak into my life. I mean, imagine you parents. If your kids just came in and sat down and just said, you know what, Dad, I've got an hour just speak to me the things you've learned in your lifetime that you would like me to know about, to be a productive person. How would that strike you parents? Undividedly, they're just there to listen. How would that minister to you? To see somebody so teachable and so willing to receive. And this is what God desires, a maturity to be brought to us, to have this deep commitment to Christ and to one another. And so here again, as we we look at the leaders and look at their job, look at what they're supposed to be trying to do. 
teach you faithfully the word of God. And that's, that's a hard thing. You have to have people willing to listen, right? Willing to be hungry for the right things. Well, Lord, we thank you again for your word here tonight. And it is a powerful thing that we hold fast the faithful word that we have been taught, that we are able, empowered by sound doctrine to exhort, to bring about conviction in those who contradict. And we ask in Jesus' name tonight, as we take this verse, this very powerful verse, one of the most powerful verses in the Bible, let it go deep into our hearts. Every little aspect. There's areas we're not holding fast, clinging to the word of God till our hand is stuck to the sword. If we're willing to commit, but we're not willing to go down into the pit on a snowy day to take on the lion, Lord, help us to be brave and strong. Lord, we just know there's a sound doctrine that can only be brought about by much digging and working, diligence, rightly dividing the word of truth, that you're holding all of us to this standard to to come and to grow and and to be matured. Lord, please help us. Lord, help us to pray for one another. Help us to pray for the pastors and the leaders of our church. Lord, let us be a people of prayer. Let us be a people of loving one another and committed to one another to, to be there to encourage and to convict and that we're willing to stick around once we're convicted. We're willing to listen and willing to receive. Help us, Lord. Give us the heart you would have us to have. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful night in the Lord. Need prayer, come forward. Love to pray with you. God bless.